Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The fight for the football postseason is underway, and the sports betting expert, R.J. Bell, is wired into the big game. I feel good about it, and thank you so much for all the support. It it, it really means a lot. Tune in to hear the best analysis and play-by-plays before R.J. heads to Atlanta for the final showdown. Jibber-jabber all you want, as long as you're one of the best guys out there. Whoop, deal with it. And then when you're not, bye-bye. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Wu, your host. So happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to bring on Sam Vecini, longtime friend of the show and draft expert, college basketball expert for The Athletic, to catch up on the college basketball and draft prospect season as we kind of transitioning into conference play. That's already started, but we're in the pretty early stages of it. We don't talk as much about the top of the board, though we do kind of some of the distinctions that exist between Cyan, RJ Barrett, Reddish, Little, and the other guys in the top tier. But we also talk about some of the risers and health updates and the the players that are intriguing Sam about this class. So really enjoyed the conversation. It is brought to you by Art of Sport, new sponsor for the show. You can go to artofsport.com and use the promo code REALGM for half off the trial kit. And you also get free shipping on that, which is great. BetOnline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus, which is awesome. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. And also, as we talked about in the show, way to sell or trade in your car. This episode runs a little bit over an hour, shorter than some of the episodes with Sam, but I really like where we went with it. And I, I really learned a lot, which is what I'm looking to do this time of year. So hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Danny. How's it going, man? Um, I'm excited to be on the podcast again. You know, I made the mistake this morning of putting too much milk into my uh, iced coffee, so it's a uh, bit of a bit of a struggle this morning on my end. I'll, I'll have to kind of take your word for it because, as somebody who doesn't drink coffee, I, I I'm guessing that makes it more makes you more sluggish. Is that what happens? No, it doesn't make me more sluggish. It just has that like watered down taste. Oh, like, got it. Okay, coffee. You know, it's it's fine. It's it's. The first world problems to the nth degree. Fair enough. Uh, so w- one of the one of the places that we can we can start with this. It, I, I mean, it, it makes sense to always start with the top of the board. I don't think we'll spend as much time doing it. You since the last time we talked, you released a new big board, and it doesn't seem to me like there's a lot of movement at the tippy top. But then there is in the bottom half of the top ten. So just briefly, you know, Zion, Barrett, Reddish, Little, that was the same top four you had before, correct? Yeah, I mean, so the top four remained the same, but I think it would be not unfair because, you, you, I mean, you don't know. Like, I didn't make notes within the big board on this, but, like, uh, I would say that the bottom two guys, Cam Reddish and Nasir Little, are – getting a lot closer to that like next few guys than they are to RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson at the top um, Barrett at two Zion at one. Uh, it is a very tricky, difficult thing to parse through because Nasir and Cam have their own very specific, weird uh, situations that they're undertaking right now within their team and within the way that they're being utilized on the court. Part of it is that honestly, like they just aren't great uh, prospects. Like I thought Nasir was going to be a lot better than he is right now after watching, you know, I scouted 
I've seen him in person three times, four times, and then I scouted probably 12 of his games pretty in depth. Uh, Cam Reddish, I've seen him in person more than that, and I've seen uh, probably 10 to 12 of his games as well, uh, just watching tape and scouting again. So like, I felt like I had a pretty good feel for where these guys were, and in some ways I did. Uh, but with Nasir, it's clear that some of the shot-making stuff that I thought he had, he doesn't quite have yet uh maybe it's role again maybe it's like a confidence thing that he just you know isn't in a great spot uh in cam's case uh, i think that basically everything that has happened with cam was somewhat predictable but uh nonetheless he is just not playing the role that you would expect from a top three freshman and a top you know player in his draft class so uh those guys are definitely closing in like I, i think that before i would have said that you know, as of like a month ago, it would be pretty crazy to have people over like Cam Reddish on your draft board, like other than the top two guys or top three guys. Right now, uh, if you told me you had like Jarrett Culver or if you had John Morant or guys like that ahead of them on your draft board, I, I would say that's actually a pretty reasonable statement now. So even though the top four has remained the same for me and I'll have to think about what I'm going to do with that uh, within my next update that'll probably come later on, like in a few weeks this month, but it's, it's definitely tightening because of the lack of production of the freshmen and the outstanding production of some of the returnees. Yeah. One helpful way that I've done, not necessarily with draft boards, but I haven't done those in a long time, but with various different things is kind of thinking about this in terms of tiers. And so what it's sounding like from, for me is that you used to have a dividing line after the little reddish group. And that, that line either has waned or straight up does not exist anymore. Is that, is that a fair? Yeah. So like I, I've had like a line of Zion like at the top for sure. And then I thought it was probably more, you know, RJ, Cam, Nasir. Uh, right now, I really think that it's just like RJ is very clearly at the top of that like second tier. And honestly, more than anything, it might be uh, Zion and then a blank tier, and then RJ and, like, these guys, like, in the 2 through 7 to 10 range because it's just so difficult to parse through all of the details right now. I think that what you're going to see with this draft is you're going to see a crazy variety of opinions, and I don't think any of those opinions are going to be, like, invalid, right? Like, uh, during, like, the Ben Simmons-Brandon Ingram draft, I'll be kind of honest. Like, I thought it was a little bit crazy that people were putting Brandon Ingram ahead of Ben Simmons on their draft board. Um, a lot of people that I really respect and really like did it, but I thought that was kind of insane. When I look at this draft, if you, like I said, like, if you would have Jarrett Culver at, like, number three on your board ahead of the, like, Cameron Reddish, uh, Nasir Little, John Morant group, like, I would totally get that. And like, I think Jarrett Culver is a good prospect, but he's also, you know, just not like a super athlete and might be more of like a, uh, you know, third starter, or like a third best player, fourth best player on a team, which is super valuable. And like, if you get that guy at number five or four or whatever, you're probably not terribly disappointed. But I think that's just kind of where this draft is. And that's going to make life. I would say it'll make life harder on the teams drafting in that area, but it also, I think you could say, will make the the process more interesting because the more guys you have kind of in range of each other, A, you get into eye of the beholder stuff, so maybe a team really likes one player more than another, 
But also, mm-hmm. you, you could get into those circumstances where a strong preference actually has has this, like, different effect. Like, let's say, because this is always the fun part of it, is, like, you can draw your own tiers, draw your own rankings, and then if another team sees it slightly differently, they can make a big move that is kind of surprising, but still doable because the other team is comfortable moving down. So, like, the ex- the example there is, like, you know, like, let's say, like, maybe the, uh, the, the Jason Tatum-Marco Fultz trade is probably a good example here. Like, h- how that trade happened was was not necessarily Philly giving up the assets they did to get to move up to number one to get Marco Fultz. It was Danny Ainge being willing to move back. And so if, if a team yep. can see those guys as, as grouped, then then that is a, what, what allows it to happen. And so maybe then, well, obviously we were a long way away from knowing who is going to start the process with picks where, but when you have guys that you could make an argument for being a little bit more bunched up, then maybe a team like, I don't know, Cleveland or Atlanta says, you know, this is kind of what happened with Doncic and, and Trey Young as well. Like, we don't yeah. see these guys as too far apart, so if you're going to give us an asset because you see a strong preference, we'll make it happen. And those are some of the most fun draft decisions that happen. Yeah, I think that this draft is going to be kind of insane in a lot of ways because of that and because of like I it's so hard to say right now like there's been a lot of discussion as to whether or not this is a like quote-unquote bad draft and part of me would say yes I I think that in a lot of ways it is kind of a bad draft because uh at the end of the day the guys at the top of the board and the teams that are selecting at the top of the board they have a lot more variance than they typically do in situations such as this on draft night. Um, it is a situation where I don't know that I would say that uh, there aren't going to be as many good players that come from this draft as a normal draft. Now, I don't think that uh, it's going to be similar to the 2017 or 2018 drafts where we've seen just incredible rookie classes come through and really kind of almost shift expectations in terms of what a draft is. Uh, not every draft is that good. And especially whenever you talk about like this year and next year's draft, next year's draft, is, I think, uh, depending on who reclassifies going into their uh, senior year here, has potential to be even worse than what this draft is right now. So, uh, you know, you look at, for instance, the 2016 draft, I think that's kind of a, kind of a weird parallel here. Like Ben Simmons was obviously to me the number one pick in this draft. I think Brandon Ingram is the obvious number two, much in the way that RJ Barrett is the obvious number two. And then there's just kind of a big group and you have to figure out how to value those guys with the big group. I think the Celtics getting Jalen Brown at number three, Jalen Brown might not be the third best player in that draft, but they're probably pretty happy that they evaluated uh, and missed like some of the more landminey type guys that were uh, littered throughout that top 10, like a Dragon Bender or like a Marquise Chris or, you know, even like, you know, Chris Dunn, I think is going to be an NBA player for a long time. He's probably not necessarily worth the number five pick overall, but then you're going to see guys like Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray, I think are going to pop up. You're going to see a guy like Sabonis come from you know the top half of the top or the 11 through 20 range and really make an impact. Karis LeVert goes number 20 in that draft and becomes awesome. Pascal Siakam goes number 27 in that draft and becomes awesome. Dejounte Murray at 29. Like you can go kind of down this list. Malcolm Brogdon is another guy in that draft. I think that what you're going to see in this draft is similar to that one where. Uh, 
guys are in evaluators throughout teams are going to be really making their money this year, figuring out which guys are the players that will have the most success in this draft. And part of it's going to be situational and developmental because uh, a lot of these players in this draft uh, just aren't complete prospects prospects they aren't uh, finished projects by any stretch of the imagination so i think this is a draft where development down the road is going to be just as important as evaluation and identification but also i i think that uh you're going to see a lot of guys like you know from the 20 range from the 15 range outperform guys that end up being selected higher than they are because uh really there's just not a big difference in terms of talent from you know number 5 to you know like number 25 in this draft and something else that makes this group even more interesting than you could think about this in some other ones is that there aren't as many guys on the extremes size-wise. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how where Bull Bull, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, but, you know, you have a lot of guys like Keldon Johnson and Culver and Langford who are more in that 6'5 to 6'7 range, which, yeah, there's a lot of positional scarcity there, but it's not as much about like, oh, if you need a point guard, take this point guard. If you have a center, take this center. No, these are a lot of guys with different skill sets, but they're it's not that kind of decision to me. From what I understand, it seems like it's a little bit of a different flavor than that. Yeah. You know, I think in a lot of ways, that's actually kind of a good thing, right? Like every, you know, you mentioned the positional scarcity aspect of it all. Every team needs wings, right? So uh, I think that that is actually going to help the value of this draft. I think it, you know, while it doesn't look like there are a crazy amount of outstanding players, as you look through the names in this draft, uh, there are a lot of players that uh, still have a long way to go in terms of development, like Romeo Langford, like Kevin Porter, like uh, Bull Bull, uh, Luke, Lou Dort, like Casey Apollo. Like you can go through, like these guys are nowhere near finished project or products. So uh, the good thing though is that they're worth investing in because they're wing players. And as you and I have talked about for many years now at this stage, uh, wing players are still somehow undervalued on draft day. Uh, it's so hard to find those guys in free agency without spending an arm and a leg. It's so hard to find those guys, uh, you know, via trade without having to give up some of your best assets that it still, like, I think that this draft is almost going to be like wing proof in a way or like big man proof in a way because, uh, th- there just aren't enough of them for teams to make mistakes on really. <laughs> Well, and something that's really interesting, you made the connection with the 2016 class, and I'm not arguing that with with this one because I don't know it well enough yet. But if you look at it, the bigs in that class in 2016 ended up having a way higher bust rate than the perimeter players. I mean, even yeah. if you're disappointed in Brandon Ingram, the, the bigs that went in the top 10 that year were... Bender, Chris, and Pirtle. You know, Pirtle is making his way. I think he could be, he's at least a, a very good rotation player. Might end up being a starter, especially now that he's in San Antonio. Yeah, Pirtle's good. I like yeah, him. Yeah, I like, I like Pirtle too. But then, I mean, Bender's a bust, and Chris is displayed. And there are specific aspects of them. It's kind of like the parallel when the Warriors drew or drafted Patrick O'Brien, where it's like, if you. If you have a big who's not good enough to go really, really high, there's probably something wrong there that might that might end up sinking their career. It doesn't always. Like, there are lots of guys that have succeeded in that range. 
But you look at the success rate, so not only do you have the positional versatility argument, but, you know, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, if we Buddy Heald, you know, he's pretty much a straight two, but there is still, there's a lot of positional scarcity at the two as well. Like, even, even with the idea of, oh, you know, small versus big, like, scarcity plus those guys being productive, like, because you can fit a spot in the rotation for them, you know, even if Buddy Heald didn't break out the way that he has this year, his shooting over the last couple of years, you know, that's a 20-minute-a-game guy no matter what. Yeah, like whenever uh, I think that my comparison for Buddy Heald was like better Jody Meeks uh, on draft night and you look at uh, what Buddy has done so far, I think he's probably like slightly exceeded that. Um, And I meant like better peak Jody Meeks, but like Jody Meeks uh, averaged, you know, like 10, 15 a night for a couple of years in there off the bench is like a 20 to 25 minute a game guy. Uh, I remember correctly, he might have like had that he might have, what year did he play for the Lakers? Like he averaged something way more ridiculous than what you would have remembered from Jody Meeks. And, you know, Buddy Heald, I think, has probably slightly exceeded that uh, at this stage. Like I said, uh, you know, you look at what he's doing right now. He's averaging 20 a night. Uh, he's settled in as like a very clear starting two guard. He's also 26 years old now because apparently uh, he was a year older on draft night than what uh, people thought he was. But you know, if you get a guy that is going to be averaging 20 points a game when he's 26 years old, uh, is just an unbelievably efficient floor spacing shooter that has incredible value because again, like even in buddy's case, even though he doesn't necessarily, even though he's a straight two kind of, you can play different types of players around him. Like if you wanted to play two point guards and slide him down to the three, you probably could do that. Even in today's NBA, you'd have to like, have a bigger four or like a bigger mobile four, it would be harder to do. You probably have to have a mobile five to kind of cover up some of the driving lanes that would be there just from a lack of length on the perimeter. But at the end of the day, I actually like, I look at a guy like Buddy and I think it's uh, amazing uh, what he's been able to accomplish. And like Jamal Murray's like a one slash two. Uh, it kind of goes into what you're saying. Like th- this is, uh, being able to draft on the wing, being able to draft perimeter players, it, it makes, it makes it a lot more difficult for NBA executives to fail. Because that's not to say that like guys on the wing like always succeed, but I would bet you that the bust rate, especially in today's NBA of wings versus uh, big men is considerably lower. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think you could also argue in terms of like full on busts, you know, like guys that are just straight up out of the league or something like that. That could yeah. be that could be something a little bit different. So yeah, like, in like non non like Denzel Valentine. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, that's, that's as well. Because like, that was yeah, that's injury based. That was an overdraft and like he doesn't really fit with the modern archetype of wing anyway, because he's a non athlete. Like Buddy had a considerably higher athletic uh baseline yeah, than like, what Denzel. I think did. you're talking more or, like Ben Macklemore. Somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Like Ben McLemore would be a great example of someone that like just kind of busted. I mean, Ben McLemore is basically two guard Marquise Chris. I think that's a fair. That's a kind of a fair comparison. Like guys that had the physical talent that passed the eye test, but just never really got the connective tissue to make it work. Right. Like Stanley Johnson, like never developing a jumper. Really. Like that's that's an example of a guy. Stanley Johnson. But then, but then, kind of a counter that. That, that kind of proves your idea is MKG. MKG, because he's forward-sized, even though he never really got that jumper down, he's still a useful player. Right, 100%. Like, 
uh, you know, Stanley Johnson's one. Um, I'm trying to think of like other wings. I mean, Stauskas has kind of figured it out, but Stauskas was definitely. Well, I, I'm, I, I think he, he's still riding a little bit of a hot, like three, four week run. And then he, he's, he's cooled down a lot since then. I, I will, we'll see where for he is. Sure. For sure. Oh. Like he's, he's figured it out as like he's going to stay in the NBA for a while. I yeah, think that could be, but, oh, but, but I want to go back to Jody Meeks. Uh, so I looked yeah, this yeah. up. Jody Meeks 2013-14 is a season that had completely gone down the memory hole for me. So he averaged 16 a game, starting almost every game for the Lakers, had a 60% true shooting, and but it, he yeah. would have had he would have had a crazy higher uh, PER and stuff if his usage had been higher. Like yes, 60% true shooting, 45% of his shots were from three. He made 40% of those, got to the line for basically 30% of his like the field free throw rate was 30 30%, which is great especially for a guy who shoots that many threes like that is a bonkers season for him to have and then it did really get sidetracked by injuries he played a combined you know 60 games the next year then three the year after that that was that lost year in Detroit and then Orlando took a flyer on him he missed most of that next year I think he was still coming back from the same injury but yeah I had totally forgotten that Jody Meeks had that year that is a very good pull from you yeah, like, whenever I was, people, like, thought I was, like, saying that Buddy was a bad prospect whenever I would, like, make that statement. But we were two years removed from Jody Meeks actually being, like, pretty good. And, like, being out here in L.A., maybe I was just, like, a little bit more cognizant of what was happening with Jody Meeks. But, like, I, I thought that was, like, okay. I was, like, you know what? If he's, like, a better Jody Meeks, that's, like, a legit starting two guard in the NBA. That's fine. You know, like, that's that's totally cool. And, like, that's obviously 16 points a game. 60% true shooting. I think we all kind of thought at the time that was probably Jody Meeks's peak uh, of his career. Um, I, like, I don't think Buddy's peak is going to be like a one season, 20 point per game season like he's having right now. I think he's going to continue to sustain this over the course of the next few years. But yeah, like I, I didn't, I didn't think that was a negative at all. I was like, yeah, Jody Meeks was like a good basketball player for a while. And the hilarious part is this is now Buddy Heald's age 26 season, which is the year Jody Meeks was when he did that for the yeah. Lakers. <laughs> yeah, I just looked at, looked at that and I was like, oh, oh, Buddy. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a hilarious little coincidence. Well, lots more to talk about with Sam Vecini, but first a message from a new sponsor for Real Jam Radio, Art of Sport. What you wear and what you put into your body is made to help you look, feel, and perform your best. So shouldn't what you put on your skin every day do the same? Art for Sport is products that are better for you, that perform better, combining the innovation and the best science with the guidance of world-class athletes to take skin care to the next level for everyone. I got to try some of their products recently, and I'm, as many of you could guess, I'm very picky with what I put on and what I put into my body. And you know, I'm pretty brand loyal if there's something I like, but I want, I wanted to try it out. I was, I had previously been unfamiliar with Art of Sport and I absolutely love their products. They smell great. They work really well. The antiperspirant deodorant, the challenge one that they gave, that's now my go-to for that. The soap was awesome. And just all these other products. I mean, they have skincare, they have sunscreen and it's, it's awesome. They have a lot of really, really good products that you should definitely check out. And the best way to do that is to go to artofsport.com and then you use the promo code REALGM. should be easy to remember, considering this is Real GM Radio, R-E-A-L-G-M, and you get 50% off a trial kit. And on top of that, you get free shipping. So it's a great way to test out their products. 
so you can treat your skin with respect, and we all deserve to give our skin what it needs to smell, look, and feel its best. Again, go to artofsport.com, use that real GM promo code for 50% off a trial kit, and you also get free shipping. Art of Sport, check it out. I want to talk about some of the guys that have really moved up on your board, but we'll do a quick little addendum on yeah. Bull Bull. I, I, I love the conversation we had. I think it was the last time you were on, you had written that really good piece for The Athletic about him. And unfortunately, that will basically serve as the time capsule because he is missing the rest of this year due to a navicular bone fracture. Though it does, there does appear to be some optimism that this might not linger as much as some of those do, though obviously we never know. Yeah, I mean, like, look, the source of the, like, statement about that is Bull Bull's attorney, who obviously has legitimate reason to paint it in a strong, you know, brush, right? Like, a, in a positive manner for Bull Bull. Um, we'll see whether or not that ends up being true, not to say that it is, not to say it's not, but, like, the, these things obviously always come from parties that have interests uh, one way or another. Uh, I'm sure that at some point there will be some ridiculous report about, you know, Bull Bull will never you know, he'll never peak again in basketball because that always happens on draft, like in the draft season, right? Like uh, a month before the draft, people will start talking shit about Bull Bull uh, in, in his injury history because that's the way that this thing goes. Um, and the truth will obviously be somewhere in the middle, probably. Um, in regard to Bull, I, I mean, yeah, he's I was never as bought in as what a lot of people were, I guess, because I thought he was a genuinely terrible defender. Uh, I think that a foot injury is not going to change that. It's probably not going to help her help it at all. Certainly it might hurt it. We'll see. Um yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that never cracked my top 10 personally because I was not someone who would be willing to take that risk despite his obviously incredible athletic gifts. But I thought that someone prior to the injury, like a team, would probably take that chance because, A, I, I think that there is just uh, incredible reason to take a chance on upside within the top 10 because if you get a guy who can be a legit star, and Bull has, like, Honestly, he has like star equity on offense in the NBA. Um, there, there's reason to do that, but you have to get to know the kid. You have to trust the kid to continue to work. And, you know, that's always been a bit of a question with Bull is just how hard is he going to work at it? How hard is he going to, um, really work to improve his game? He's a natural. He is an incredibly gifted player, but, um, you know, We'll, we'll see where it goes. I, I don't really know that I have like new thoughts. I mean, like he, I, I'd probably still have him at like 14 or so on my board, like right at the end of the lottery because they're just, I, I think his upside is still interesting and we'll see what the medical reports say whenever, uh, he goes through those. Like I would imagine he won't go to the combine now because there's not really a whole lot of incentive for him to do so. Uh, you know, people know who he is. People know what his measurements are. Uh, you know, he's, he's not going to play at the combine, obviously. So I, I don't really know what the idea there would be. So he'll probably withhold his medical reports. He can control his draft process that way a little bit. And, you know, we'll see how many teams end up getting his medical reports at the end of the day. And that is still, because it hasn't been collectively bargained or whatever, that it's still a way that, that prospects wield power. And I, I fully support it because it's a way that they can, you know, have a little bit more control. The draft process is very constraining on them. That's a kind of a moralistic thing for me, but it is it is an important one because they don't get much choice over their destination. So if they want to wield the limited amount of power they have 
all for it. Yeah. And you know, like Michael Porter tried to do this last year. Um, Porter ended up being in a scenario where I think that they, they like gave the medical reports to like most teams. Uh, maybe not all. They might have like hid them from like a couple of teams, but like I'm pretty sure that most teams ended up getting Michael Porter's medical reports. But that, that was in large part because there were real questions about them. And, uh, you know, because he, like the fact that he withheld them didn't really help or hinder because eventually teams got their hands on them anyway. But, uh, the reason that he gave them to a lot of teams was to try and mitigate his downside on draft night. Uh, you know, Robert Williams is another one who didn't go to the combine last year. And then you saw rumors like kind of come up about what his medical reports looked like in, in regard to his knees, if I remember correctly. So, uh, these things continue to pop up and, you know, we saw Robert Williams drop on draft night, obviously, although I'm not entirely convinced that it was because of his knees. I'm a little bit more convinced, uh, you know, it, it was teams just still trying to get a feel for who he was as a person and, and how hard he was willing to work at his game and stuff. Uh, all Sterling reviews so far from Boston, from what I understand, no issues there at all. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I think that it's all a very complicated process and Bull is going to try and thread that needle, I, I would bet at least, of, you know, figuring out a way to get the teams the information that, uh, like the teams that they want to get the information that they need to be able to select them. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. One quick note that I'll make. I do find it enjoyable whenever you see these statements from like prospects that it comes from their lawyer. I don't know why. I just I just like that phrasing. I wish we could use it more often when it's so, things that aren't legally related necessarily. So I, I can I can give you kind of a background on that whole deal. I, obviously, I would imagine that like a bull doesn't want it to be like I have an agent already. Um while he's at Oregon, that, that would be a bad look for Oregon. But B, so Brian Friedman is the attorney who released the statement. Brian Friedman, uh, for people out here in Los Angeles, they might be a little bit familiar with him. He's like a very influential entertainment lawyer. Uh, the reason, so how Bull got to know Brian Friedman is that Brian Friedman is Spencer Friedman's dad. Spencer Friedman and Bull Bull played together at Modern Day out here in Southern California. And, uh, you know, Spencer Friedman now plays for Harvard. He was like a top 200 recruit in the country, something like that, probably. Um, th that, that's kind of the connection there, though, like uh, in terms of the language on why it's attorney, why it's something else. Like Brian Friedman isn't actually really an agent. He's just like an entertainment lawyer. OK, that makes sense. And, you know, the personal connections are always a, a big part of this. But the the player that I want to move on to as we're kind of going through guys that have really risen on the boards is somebody that you did a full feature on, and that is Jarrett Culver, who's having this big sophomore year at Texas Tech. Yeah, Jarrett Culver is really, really interesting uh, for a wide variety of reasons. So he was like a top... I don't know, like 200 recruit in the country, something like that, uh, coming out of the Lubbock area. He is originally, he was born in Dallas, but, uh, they moved to Lubbock when he was like three. So he's from Lubbock originally, basically. Um, 
And eventually, the reason he didn't really get found until he was uh, going into his senior year is that he didn't play on like the EYBL or on the Adidas circuit until the summer before his senior year. Uh, he was just like in Lubbock and he got some smaller offers like Texas Arlington and some of the other like small Texas schools. And then he goes and plays on the EYBL circuit and balls out, right? Um, he was like six foot four at the time, something like that from what I understand and was like a really – interesting wing prospect that all of the big 12 schools basically ended up offering. Um, he decided between Texas and Texas tech, he decided to stay home in Texas because he's like this family oriented kid, awesome human being, like incredible kid, uh, very God fearing kid. Uh, like everything, there will be zero red flags. Jared Culver as a, uh, human being as we go through this draft prospect process. Um, so what has happened now with Jarrett Culver? He was like a starter uh, on last season's team. I had him in, I think, at like number 20 on my preseason board because he was like a shot maker who I had heard had kind of made leaps in the summer as a uh, shooter who had kind of transformed his shot a little bit. He's a really, really hard worker. So I assumed he would make a bit of a leap this year and would probably be something of a first-round pick. What what I have found out now watching him a lot this year is that he uh, he is now just like an incredible overall basketball player who is – Honestly, I think he's somewhere between like 6'6 and 6'7 in terms of his height. They have him listed at 6'6. You watch him like stand next to RJ Barrett. You see him like the way that he is, uh, just his height in general on the basketball floor. Uh, he looks a little bit bigger than what I like six foot five, certainly. Um, he's again now listed at six foot six after being listed at six foot five last year. So it's clear that he has grown a little bit. Um, in any time that you're six foot six, six foot seven ish, like something in that range, and you can be an unbelievable pull up shooter, uh, that is an incredible, incredible achievement, right? So like Culver last year took 33 pull up attempts and had 16 points on them. He shot like something, I want to say something like 25% on them. Right now he is shooting a 47 or 46.8 effective field goal percentage on 46 pull up attempts. He is tied with uh, Mary Al Shayok at Iowa State for the most points off of pull-ups in the entire Big 12. And the reason that he wasn't a good pull-up shooter last year is that he uh, has totally transformed his shot. So he was kind of a sling shooter, a left-eye dominant sling shooter like Lonzo Ball uh, going into his freshman year and throughout his freshman year. This summer, he started to make the transformation of bringing the ball up toward the middle. He still has like just a small little I wouldn't even call it a hitch. It's just like a small little pause at the top of his jumper, but it's still pretty fluid and he's got incredible touch to where uh, the improvement in his shot is just so drastic that I think he's going to continue to get better and better and better at it as he gets older. Uh in regard to the rest of his game, Texas Tech has one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Like Texas Tech might have one of the best defenses over the last like 20 years in college basketball. They still have yet to allow a team to score over, uh, I believe it's like 0.9 points per possession in an entire game this year. Uh, I think the Northern Colorado got them for like 0.9. Even Duke, uh, who is maybe the best offense or, you know, one of the best offenses I've seen in college basketball over the last little while, they only dropped like an 84.6 offensive rating against Texas Tech. Culver is not like 
the elite defender on that team. Uh, he is like a solid defender who executes their scheme. He'll like break down sometimes. He'll kind of just sink in and lose track of where his man is off the ball and allow three point attempts. He takes these like funky angles to the ball sometimes as well. I think he's still kind of getting used to his body more than anything. Um, just, just with the height and just with the way that his, he's still very skinny. Uh, and I think that he has a frame to put on a lot of weight and put on a lot of strength. Uh, it's just a very complete game. He's an excellent passer who's averaging four assists a game. He is an excellent uh, ball handler now. He's very functional as a ball handler. He makes NBA shots uh, in, in terms of like one dribble pull-ups or attacking a closeout into a Euro step or like a nasty little spin move to get free at the basket. Uh, it's all just a very mature, polished game that I think is going to lead him to being, you know, maybe he's not a year one starter because being a year one NBA starter is really difficult, but I would bet you he by year two he is an NBA starter, and anytime you can get a starter uh, for the three years of a rookie contract, that's in an, in an inherently valuable thing. Even if you question where his overall upside is, because that, that's where I'm at a little bit. I'm not a hundred percent clear what the upside is. Like I made the comparison, not really stylistically, but. Um, to Nikola Batum. Uh, Batum was obviously a very, very good player in, uh, you know, in Portland and then in the first couple years at Charlotte. Like he peaked at right around like 15 points, six rebounds, six assists a game, ended up getting like a five year, $120 million contract because he was a really good basketball player who was, you know, a very competent number three on a team. I think that's probably more what Culver is as opposed to being like a guy like a CJ McCollum or like a Bradley Beal who develops into that number two or potentially even number one option on a team. Um, that's still inherently super valuable, especially whenever you're getting it uh, early on in a guy's career. Well, yeah, and that's something that we lose sight of sometimes is the idea that maybe they're not going to be everything, but they can help out a lot of different teams and players that have the skill set that you're describing can often become a useful piece on a team that is still evolving. And so for Culver, you know, like let's say, you know, let's say we're outside of the top five or so I'm, the, I'm imagining something like Orlando, you know, Orlando is still, you know, obviously they need a point guard. They need, they need offensive shot creation. They need a lot of different things, but them and like Phoenix and some of their teams, they don't necessarily know. Well, Phoenix actually has a lot of their core together, but these teams that don't know exactly what they're going to be. And so you can well, have Culver. Phoenix is interesting though, because Phoenix doesn't necessarily know what it's going to do at point slash wing because they're True. like there's still a question if Devin Booker's going to be like their quote unquote point guard and if you want to pair him with a bigger wing or if you want to pair him with a guard like DeAnthony Melton so I, I think that this is actually a very good point by you yeah um but yeah I, I think that Culver uh, that's what intrigues me about him whereas somebody like Reddish who I like he might be better off going to a team that is a little bit more figured out unless he has more to his game that is just being buried at Duke, which is entirely possible. Yeah. So let's start with Culver. So you look at the teams at the top of the draft. So Cleveland has the worst record right now. They need help all over the court, especially at the wing Phoenix. I think you can make the case. They have a lot of wings, but uh, again, you look at what Jarrett Culver is, he would fit very well with Devin Booker. And again, you can't really have enough wings, in my opinion, especially when you have your center of the future in DeAndre Ayton. The Knicks definitely need another wing. The Bulls, good God, they need another wing. Atlanta could use another wing. Washington could use uh, another wing. Orlando could use another wing. Detroit definitely needs another wing. Like, just throughout the entire top eight or so, 
all of Culver. Now, in Reddish's case, Reddish is really interesting because the role that Reddish is in at Duke is nothing like he played on the AAU circuit. He and like in high school, he was more of like a point forward who grab and go. He handled the ball a ton. He could really pass it. Um, definitely had a loose handle. I think that that's the thing that a lot of people uh, kind of overrated about him coming into the year. I think that I wrote this in my preseason profile. He's more of a full court ball handler than a half court ball handler. His handle isn't super functional, and we've seen that. With the super high turnover rate so far at Duke. Um, I, I think that that sometimes frustrates Coach K and results in him being benched. Uh, also, just Reddish's like laissez-faire mentality about a lot of things probably frustrates Coach K. Um, I, I think he's a more situational player in terms of personality uh, than in terms of game. Like Culver, or Culver could probably go anywhere and be successful because he's a really, really mature kid, super smart kid. Um He'll he plays super hard. He, he's an incredibly hard worker. He'll figure it out just about anywhere, I think. Whereas with Reddish, I think he needs to go somewhere that will foster the skills that he needs to get better. It, it's not he can't just go anywhere, I think, and figure it out. He needs to go somewhere that will help him. Uh, I guess the way to put it is that will help him uh, actualize the incredible gifts that he has because he moves incredibly fluidly at six foot eight. He can, you know, handle the ball in full court. You can tighten that handle up, I think, and get him to be a half court playmaker. He's a good passer, like I said. Um, he has a lot of defensive potential. He has a lot of shooting potential. Uh, but the place that he goes has to work with him and has to put him in a situation uh, that works for him to get to that peak. Are there any places in particular that you think fit that description? You know, I look at Atlanta. I think Atlanta makes a lot of sense. I really like what they're building there. Um, just culturally, I think that it would be a, a good fit. Uh, you know, they, they really are valuing floor spacing. They seem to have a very modern ideal in terms of what uh, their roster looks like. Uh, you know, like to me, like I would want like John Collins uh, to be a five long term i think um he's been awesome over the last month by the way he's like genuinely i think one of he's like turning into one of the better prospects in the nba um so like you need to figure out how that works do you want to play collins at the four do you want to play him at the five i I think reddish's best position long term as soon as he fills out is probably at the four but Getting a guy like Cam Reddish in there in a system that understands spacing with a coach who understands defense um, in a younger situation where there won't be a lot of pressure early on on him. He can be allowed to make mistakes. He can be allowed to learn through it a little bit. Uh, I think that that would probably help him more than going to a situation, for instance, like Boston. Like Boston might end up with uh, a higher level, like top 10 pick. And that could be a problem. That could be a scary situation, I think, for a guy like uh, Cam Reddish. So, like, uh, you know, New York, if, if the Knicks get Kevin Durant, that's probably a compete now, like immediate uh, situation. And I don't know if that would really help him. Like, I would want him to go into a situation where he can slowly but surely develop along. One that I was thinking could kind of mesh those two ideas would be the Wizards. I mean, obviously the Wizards are going to be competing, but we'll see if they're actually good enough to do it. Just if Wall, we'll see what Wall looks like next season, but he could be a good little distributor for Reddish. Like that could be interesting. Still, the Wizards have so much to figure out. I'm not sure that's where they want to go if they end up picking high enough to get Reddish. But having him and Otto theoretically together and Beal, I think would be a lot of Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. That would be a very modern, very uh, interesting 
like way of going about creating a uh, cr- creating a front court of the future. Like having Otto Porter, who can really shoot it, but probably can't like create a ton, and then putting him with Reddish, who has I, again, like I think he has a lot of potential as a creator, as a ball handler. This is where teams that have done their homework, uh, doing scouting in high school as much as you can, and have watched as much tape as you can on Reddish in high school, and there's, you know, actually a pretty decent amount of it out there. Like I think that what people don't necessarily recognize a lot of the time, despite the fact that NBA teams can't go to high school events, uh, they all have access to synergy, like I do. Like they can go through and uh, watch all of the Adidas circuit. And while Reddish wasn't on the Adidas circuit, um, certainly a lot of guys in this draft, like Zion Williamson, like you can watch 20 of Zion Williams games, 25 of Zion Williamson's games uh, immediately, like on demand if you want to from high school. So uh, there, there's a lot there that, you know, I, I think NBA teams will be able to parse through and figure out. And that's why I think Reddish is in one of the weirdest situations that I can remember dra- on uh, uh, going into his draft year, just because it's nothing like what we've seen him play like before. And, you know, maybe it's a situation that he's probably going to be more likely to play in the NBA now. And the fact that he's not running with it is a concern, but it's, it's just a very strange spot because Duke also doesn't have a lot of floor spacing, obviously, other than him. Uh, they have like Jack White, but the Duke just team in general, like Coach K and stuff, they don't, they don't play Jack White with the four freshmen as much as you would think, despite the fact that that's their best five man unit. So it often results in like when Reddish tries to attack closeouts, which he's very capable of, um, he is in very confined quarters immediately because teams just sink in because there's not really much recourse in terms of jumpers uh, falling. So it's just a very strange situation that you have to account for. Yeah, I, the, the example that I was thinking of is how some of the guys on the Sixers have run into problems just because they have all these other good players, but they aren't good players in the way that necessarily makes other guys capable of creating off the dribble just because of how you have to defend them and spacing and everything like that. I mean, obviously, you know, you're never going to say Ben Simmons is like a bad guy, but like, you know, theoretically, let's say one of the other guys had more, more of a, like a attack closeout kind of element to their game. They'd still be running into a damn thicket. Right. It's exactly right. It's very, very similar. Like JJ Redick is kind of perfect for their scheme because, uh, when Reddick attacks like heavy closeouts, his is just like a sidestep, uh, one or two dribble pull up as opposed to a like trying to drive into the lane and finish at the paint. Lots more to talk about with Sam Vicini, but first a message from betonline.ag. It is the new year and the greatest time of year for football is here, the NFL playoffs. As I've been saying for months, there is only one place to get in on all the action, betonline.ag. Visit betonline.ag today and you receive a 50% bonus a sign-up bonus using the promo code PODCAST1. We're headed into the weekend, got the AFC and NFC divisional round, lots of great games coming up, really excited for that. And of course, you have a loaded NBA slate. There are exciting games almost every game, every day. And if you want to use Bet Online to make the games that you are going to watch more interesting, maybe it's, you know, you're into it, it's your favorite team, or you're really into football. I mean, we're getting, getting down to the wire here. And maybe there's a day that you or just home and, and you wanted to, to add a little bit of intrigue to it, you can also use betonline.ag, of course, for that. And use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Also have a message from TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. 
That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they will check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. So there are a few guys further down on the board that I want to talk about, but something for my own clarification that would be good is, so you're talking about, you know, guys like on your board, DeAndre Hunter, Morant, Kelvin Johnson, Kevin Porter, where do you kind of draw, it's probably going to be a very fuzzy line, but kind of where do you see the next separation with all that group? I'm guessing it's before Bull Bull. Yeah, it's definitely before Bull Bull. Um, I would say it's like, at Darius Garland, like Darius Garland is probably the line. Like well, I would have I, Garland I, around like I know you've number 11 lot, right now. A lot about how you will kind of like Langford. So it kind of makes sense that you would have a line between those two guys. Even yeah. If like, line. and like Romeo is a really tough one too, because Romeo is like, there might not be a bigger swing skill for any prospect in this draft than Romeo Langford being able to shoot it because Romeo can do just about everything else. Like he is, very good at attacking closeouts. He is a tight, like straight line dribble. He's not a guy that has great hips, so he struggles to change direction. Uh, but he can really get to the lane with a, you know, straight line drive. He'll make, he doesn't turn the ball over all that much. He will be able to really, uh, make plays with the ball in his hand. Uh, he has a good little floater game. He finishes at the basket ex- exceedingly well. Uh, you know, he rebounds the basketball for his side. He's size. He's an excellent passer. You can play him as like not quite a point guard, but you can certainly run like secondary pick and rolls on the side with him and, and let him get into the middle. And then he'll pick out kick out passes to uh, open guys for three defensively. He's always had the tools, but I've got to really call out. He has made a huge leap defensively this year. He has been awesome on that end for Indiana. Um, in, in high school, he just had no accountability because he played for a program that was run by his dad, uh, in AAU and then like New Albany. Like, if you know anything about Romeo Langford, like Romeo was a god at New, Al- New Albany, basically in Indiana. Uh, one of the best like Indiana State basketball players ever. So, the fact that he's embraced defense under Archie Miller is really, really impressive, but he's shooting 22% from three right now. Uh, he has really good touch again. Like you can make a case that you think he's going to be able to shoot it at some point once he gets with a coach and really works on his mechanics. Uh, I think that his release kind of needs a, not like a, it's, it's a pretty extensive overhaul in my opinion. Uh, just in terms of like where his, uh, where his final, uh, you know, kind of load point is on his jump shot and, and where he, uh, gets the ball to. He really bends his wrist, his right wrist extensively on his jumper. And I think it creates a lot of tension that results in kind of weird, uh, left to right movement or results in, uh, you know, short and far movement on his jumper. So, uh, it's if he can shoot it, he is no question uh, in the conversation with Jarrett Culver is a draft prospect. Uh, like he is a potential top five pick. Uh, no, 
no questions asked, in my opinion. If he can't shoot it and he's a 25% three-point shooter, what is he? Is he a, like, sort of rotation player? Like, it's really hard to be a pure wing in today's NBA and not be able to shoot. So I don't, I don't really know what he is. And, like, while he's a good defender at Indiana, I don't think he's – like an all NBA defense level prospect, which is kind of what you need to be uh, on that end to be like a total non-shooter in the NBA. So I don't, his shooting is like the biggest swing skill. If you think he's going to shoot it, then you should feel pretty confident. Take him in the top 10. If you don't think he's going to shoot it, I, I don't know where you take him. Yeah. And so that, that to me means he'll be somebody that'll probably go somewhere around 10 because one of those teams will think they can do it with him. You know, that that can get there and, you know, wing defense is so incredibly important in the league. And so it only ever takes one. And the, the idea that I've thought about this before is there are certain guys, this is true in fantasy sports too, if you have a draft system, that you functionally have a do not draft on them, even though you don't actually, just because you have them lower than a bunch of other teams will. So it's just like, yep. you're never going to end up with that guy. Yeah, like that guy for me this year is Bull Bull. Like Bull Bull will go higher than where he is on my final draft board probably because uh, like I, I'm like I said like I'm just not quite as high on him as other people. So functionally, it's going to end up being that like you know he's on he's not on my list, but you know it is it is what it is. So a couple of guys in your teens that I, I thought were interesting, even though the Pac-12 is a gigantic tire fire of a conference. Yes, um, it is. Lugan's door. <laughs> it's it's door. I, I've always thought of it as door, not door. Maybe that's just because I have a French last name and that's how I say things. Um, it, it's a dort. Dort. Uh, it is dort. Okay. I, yeah. I, I've talked to him pretty extensively. It's it's Lou. He goes by Lou. Uh, and then dort. Losing all the Frenchness in his name. I don't like it. And... and, and, and and Opala at Stanford, like that, uh, those two guys are both really interesting, even though the conference is just terrible. So yeah, Casey, I think Casey would be a little bit higher than Dort on my personal board right now. Casey is like a legit 6'8", 6'9", who can really, really shoot it now. Like he, like last year, teams around the Pac-12 uh, would not, just they just wouldn't guard him out there because they knew that he wanted to drive and they didn't think he could really punish them from deep whenever he shot it he shot probably 23 percent or something from three last year this year he is a pure knockdown shooter he has worked his ass off if you talk to people on that staff like he has worked so incredibly hard on his jumper to get to the point where he is now a like 40 percent three-point shooter i think uh from the college line at least that is we'll see what happens when he gets the line but it's a very easy uh simple mechanic shot that I think should translate well to him becoming a very, very good NBA three-point shooter. And then beyond that, he's excellent at attacking closeouts. He's a really good pump fake game. He has a really good uh, ability to, uh, on his first dribble with either his right or his left hand, he can uh, cover a lot of ground because he is six foot eight, six foot nine with a seven, three, seven, two wingspan, which, you know, obviously correlates with longer legs as well. Um, he is just such a fascinating prospect in a lot of ways because, you know, he fits everything that the modern NBA is looking for from a prospect, uh, you know, shooting, length, athleticism, uh, you know, in terms of like lateral athleticism, he has it. He's not, he's very fluid. He's very smooth in the way that he moves as an athlete. Um, I don't know that I would say he is a super vertically explosive athlete. You see him try and finish around the basket. Sometimes he struggles with that. Uh, additionally, I don't, 
I don't know how tough he is yet is like a defender. And like, I don't know how much he like wants to full on embrace contact, which is a scary prospect. I think in a lot of ways for teams, but I think as he continues to put on weight, as he continues to put on strength and muscle mass, that could really change. Uh, at the end of the day though, you look at him and you just see a guy that, uh, if you put him in a in a lineup, he's going to be able to space the floor and knock down shots. He's going to be able to attack heavy closeouts, and then hopefully his length, uh, once you get him with NBA style coaches, will be able to be a deterrent on defense. So I've got him as a lottery pick right now, just because I think that uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be really hard to pass on that package of skills. And then Dort is interesting because he is in a lot of ways the antithesis of KZ Apollo. Uh, he is. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen like Dort at all, Danny? I haven't seen him in college, but I actually, our paths crossed a few times when he was younger than that. I think I saw him at Hoop Summit or Adidas Nations or something like that. I, I remember him well. I mean, he's also kind of a memorable, um, I, he's just kind of an unusual guy. So I think I remember him from that context as well. Yeah, he's an unusual looking basketball player. His like chest is, he is a tank. Basically, he is a massive uh, human being. Uh, his, his chest is just so deep and so strong. He'll, he'll like people like bounce off of him. And when they bounce off of him, they fall because and like he is not really deterred at all because he is so strong for a kid that I think turns 20 in maybe January or February. Um, so he's a little bit older for his class. No question like most Canadian prospects other than RJ because RJ ended up reclassifying uh, into an earlier class. But in Dort's case, what you see is he has the strength. He is an incredible on-ball defender. Uh, but what you see with him, he's not necessarily a great off-ball defender yet. I think that'll be fixable because he really works hard. He really wants to be a good defender. Um, and then additionally, he is not yet a super uh, consistent shooter. It's like he is like Marcus Smart kind of without – the incredible playmaking ability. Uh, very, very good defender long-term, in my opinion. A playmaker who can handle the ball and who can get into the paint and can probably finish at the basket or above the basket in some cases. 6'4", like a 6'9", wingspan, so actually pretty similar in terms of size as well. But I think that that playmaking ability is a genuine difference maker that makes Smart a valuable offensive player, even though he can't shoot. I don't know that Dort has that yet, and that's a little bit scary, I think, for NBA teams. I think he'll go in the first round. I think he'll probably go like in the 20s somewhere, uh, maybe like late teens. But, uh, you know, there are real questions about what he can do on the floor uh, still offensively in the NBA. Right, and and the issue that I have with Dort is is the idea of like his his upside unless we're talking like not necessarily his hundred percent outcome like that that I'm not you know obviously that would be a very good player but more like his eighty five percent eighty fifth percentile outcome like that that's kind of like for me I call that like the realistic ceiling and so it's you know it's things go really well but it's not you know just like oh they found a jump shot oh they you know like like they they hit all like Michael Michael K Gilchrist finding a jump shot like that's higher than an eighty fifth percentile outcome and when I've watched Dort especially when he was younger. I wondered about that 85% one. It's like, well, how good a like how good a player in the NBA is that? Like there are other leagues where I think he could be very useful, but I'm not completely sold on that, and that's why I'm probably a little lower on him than some. Yeah, and look, I get that. Like I, I think that's a totally reasonable uh thing to be right now uh, on Dort. Like if you look around, like the weird thing is that in this draft it's like really hard to find guys that 
you fall in love with. Like I would have Dort, like I had Dort probably a little too high on my last board. Um, I, I would probably have him more around like the 20 range right now. But once you get beyond that, you're talking about like, I mean, like Jalen McDaniels, who is super skinny and doesn't really have great feel for the game yet, in my opinion. Um, you know, Brandon Clark, who offensively doesn't really have a position yet and until he learns to like really shoot it. Um, Ty Jerome, who is like an effective college defender because he's super disruptive with his hands and just is six foot four or six foot five. So like he's bigger than most of the guys he guards. But like in the NBA, that's not really going to be the case. Like Quentin Grimes has been way worse than what Lou Dort is. Um, you know, uh, it, it's just really, really hard to come up with the guys that you like. Uh, more than Dort, basically. Yeah, especially because some of the guys that are intriguing in this draft are centers, and we've already seen that if you are not a top 10 to 14 center, your value is just a lot lower. You know, so like, let's say Daniel Gafford. Like, Daniel Gafford, I I remember watching him a few times at Arkansas last year and be like, oh, like, you know, there there are a lot of things to like about Daniel Gafford. But if he doesn't reach that rarefied air, sure, having him on a on a rookie scale contract for four years and then restricted free agency, like that's nice. If he can be a rotation player as soon as let's say his second or third year, you're getting some real value out of that. But if he doesn't get into that that real high level, the value you're getting is a lot more limited. Whereas somebody like Dort or Nikhil Alexander Walker, or maybe I, I don't know Admiral Schofield that well, but you know those type of guys, you're saying they're going well, like. If you can get a rotation player at their size, at their position, that's a lot more valuable. Yeah, like Gafford's such an interesting one because like he's done everything that you could possibly really have asked for from him this year. Uh, he is uh, he's averaging 17 points and nine and a half rebounds a game. Uh, he's improved as a defensive rebounder this year, which was one question that like I sort of sneaky had on him last year. He stayed the same as an offensive rebounder. He's still just an unbelievable rim protector. Um, the turnover rate has spiked just because he's actually the centerpiece of their offense now, which is something that like a guy like Daniel Gafford really probably shouldn't be um, just because he doesn't have like great post moves, doesn't have great handle, uh, struggles with double teams a little bit. But you put him as like a rim runner who can have potential to pick and pop. Like his true shooting percentage, despite the fact that his usage rate has jumped, uh, his true shooting percentage has jumped by five points. Like he, he's done genuinely everything that you could ask for, and he's probably fallen on my board since the beginning of the year, just because. Uh, it's it's really just hard to find wings and wings have continued to step up and you know a guy like Daniel Gafford he's at the end of the day probably like a borderline starting center in the NBA um that's valuable that has use and he's the kind of center that you want to buy into he'll be a top 20 prospect on my board like i've very little doubt about that but it's just a difficult, like it's tough to find. Uh, it's easier to find guys like him than it is to find difficult to find wings. Like uh, the other interesting one right now is Jackson Hayes, right at Texas. Um, I think Jackson Hayes has a very real chance to go in the lottery right now, uh, and he's kind of like this year's Daniel Gafford in a lot of ways. Uh, he's an unbelievable shot blocker, protects the rim like crazy, has probably a little bit better of a frame long term, in my opinion, than what. 
Gafford does, but he's a rim runner. He plays super hard. Uh, similarly to Gafford has questions as a rebounder. Uh, there's just a lot of weird, funky similarities there, except what makes Hayes slightly better as a prospect than Gafford, in my opinion, is that Hayes can really defend the perimeter, uh, in a way that Gafford has struggled with due to his high hips and, uh, just kind of, uh, his, overall athleticism uh in quickness on the perimeter so it's just the margin for error on guys like daniel gafford is so so small like you have to be basically like a perfect prospect in a lot of ways uh to be someone like daniel gafford and still go in the top 10 of the draft like in previous years or like 10 years ago daniel gafford's probably like number five on most people's board Right. And, and I, I think that's a good example. And, and also you can think about the, the centers that do fit into that top 12, top 15 kind of line. A lot of those guys didn't necessarily go high. I mean, obviously Jokic is well known for going in the second round. That situation was a little bit different, but Rudy Gobert went late. Clint Capella went late first round, you know, and of course some of them like Carl Anthony Towns and, and AD, those guys went super high and they were undeniable. Joel Embiid, if he hadn't gotten hurt the way that he did, he would have gone number one as well. And so you do have yeah. this split. And another good example of that is a guy like Steven Adams, who I loved out of college. I actually had him in my top five, but that was unusual. And I actually, knowing what I know now, not about him, but about the NBA, I probably would have actually dropped him and then he would have exceeded those expectations. Yeah, it's funny. Like Jackson Hayes is very similar to Steven Adams, like very, very similar in terms of uh, what their what their production has been, what their uh, body types are. Adams is probably uh, a bit heavier than what Jackson Hayes is, but Jackson Hayes is uh, Jackson Hayes comes from like a football background. Like his dad is the tight ends coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. Like uh, I think that Hayes is going to figure out how to put on weight uh, pretty easily at some point. He has a really great frame for putting on weight. Uh, just a just a very fascinating player in general that uh, I think fits a lot of the way that the NBA is going. Um, in regards just this position in this class, we should probably just run it down real quick. Um, you know, I, like I consider Brandon Clark kind of he's like six foot eight, two hundred and twenty pounds. But yeah, I, I think his best position in the NBA from what I've seen of him is center. Yeah, or like it's like an interchangeable position defensively. Like he plays with Carl Towns in Minnesota. He's probably nominal nominally the four. Sure. And that's like an incredible fit, right? Like those two, Clark playing mobile defense protecting the weak side of the rim, uh, hopefully eventually learning to shoot, but mostly just staying short corner for now and then getting dumped and dunking the ball everywhere. Like to me, if, if Brandon Clark was there at like number, like I have Brandon Clark probably at like 22 or so on my board right now. Um, if Minnesota is sitting there at like 14 or so on draft night, which is where they are right now, um, I, I would probably take Brandon Clark, to be honest. I, I think that that's just like an unbelievable fit. And you can kind of run through like a few other examples of places that I think really work for Brandon Clark as well. Um, but like a lot of these guys are just very situational, I think. Um, Naz Reed is like just an unbelievable offensive player in a lot of ways. Uh, he might be like one of the worst defensive centers I've ever seen in my life, which is saying a lot. Um, just no real effort there. Doesn't try and block shots. Doesn't try and defend on the perimeter. Um, kind of got like UNC Greensboro center, like roasted him for 30 points or something like that. Uh, Simi Shitu is a guy that is very 
he's quickly like kind of jumping the more that I watch him play. He can't shoot it yet, which is a problem. Um, but he can really pass it. He's going to kill short rolls in the NBA. He, he's like an undersized, like 6'10 center with like not great length. But if you put him in a situation where you run pick and rolls, you have him roll short and then once the defense uh, collapses in on him from the wings, he'll just pick out shooters and uh, spray to ball, spray balls to like corner trees and wings and stuff like that. Like he, he's a really, really good player. And I think that uh, as his continues to come back because he tore his ACL just about a year ago uh, and, and, you know, recovered from it so quickly and has played really well so far. I, I think that as his athleticism comes back, he's going to continue to uh, be someone that, Ends up rising like into the twenties somewhere. Wait, wait, wait. For, wait. Uh, we have a, we have a Vanderbilt big man with injury issues. We know he's going to the Warriors. It's just about whatever pick they end up oh getting in the first round. Yeah. So what? What the Warriors? They're probably going to have like somewhere like twenty seven, twenty eight, or so. Twenty seven. Yeah. There we go. Can yeah, pencil it in already. Definitely, he's definitely going there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, he's one that I actually like. PJ Washington is like an interesting potential big. He can actually shoot it now. Um, might be more of a four now that he can shoot it. Wait, he can shoot uh, now? That, like, I, I really enjoyed PJ Washington, like going back to when he did some of the U stuff, but I was always like, oh man, if this guy could ever shoot. Yeah, I think he's like a guy that I'm going to have around like number 20 or so right now. He's still averaging like 12 and, 12 and a half and eight, but they spread the ball around like crazy. Obviously, his minutes are basically the same from last year. He's nine for 25 this year from three, uh, already. He's at 36%. Uh, I think that just honestly, when he shoots it, I feel pretty good about it going up. One other center, just because I remember you and I watched him together. How's Charlie Bass? How, or not Charlie Bassey. Um, Charles Charlie Bassey. Bassey. I actually kind of like that now. I, I think that's just going to be what I call him now. Charlie Bassey. Uh, so Bassey is like kind of the poster child for all of what this big man discussion is, right? Um, I've certainly got him as like a top like 40 prospect because he is a good rim protector. Uh, he is a interesting potential rim runner um he can he's good enough touch around the basket to where i think he can like kind of sort of figure it out um you know like he's not a guy that you're gonna like post necessarily i would like him to be a like full-on dominant uh rebounder like, I, I think that that is the biggest problem. He's like a 22 defensive rebounding rate. Uh, you look at his like pure numbers because he plays 30 minutes a night. He has like nine and a half rebounds a game. Uh, he's a really good offensive rebounder too, but he's like a 22.8 defensive rebounding rate to be uh, like a true center in the NBA. You got to have that number for like 25, 26. If you're not going to be like a crazy rim running athlete that can also defend on the perimeter, I don't really trust him to defend on the perimeter. Um, it's just really hard to make it when that's the case. Like he'll he'll be my guess is like on my next update I will have him around like number thirty or so. Um, but like I, I think Simi Shitu, for instance, is just like a more dynamic offensive player who is probably giving up what like an inch in height and two inches of wingspan. Um, you know, maybe he's a slightly worse rim protector than what Bassey is, but I think Bassey's just going to get roasted on the perimeter. 
Yeah, that I mean, I, I just always kind of wondered what his fit was going to be with 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 the modern NBA. And again, the idea, like, I I think it's entirely possible that the team that drafts him ends up being happy. It's just that he's going to fall farther than a guy like that would have, let's say, ten years ago, or much less like twenty years ago. Oh my God, would have been very different conversation then. Yeah, you know, like Bassey has made like seven of eleven from three this year too. So like if he starts shooting threes consistently as like a catch and shoot three point shooter, what does that, what does that do for him? Like, does that actually really open up the rest of his game? And like, if he can shoot, if he can genuinely shoot basketball, uh, he's at 74% from, from free throw. He's at 65 or whatever from three. That's what seven divided by 11, 64% from three. Uh, If he can actually shoot it, like he is a top 20 prospect for sure. I just don't know that I buy the jump shot yet. Oh, we have a few minutes here left. Is there is there anybody else that you think is is somebody that listeners should should get a handle on, or maybe they should keep an eye on over the next few weeks or months until the next time we do this? I would definitely mention um, Jackson Hayes. Watch Jackson Hayes at Texas. He's really interesting. Um, definitely a potential lottery pick. Um, the point guard position is interesting. Trey Jones is very similar to Tyus in regard to his skill set, except a little bit better of a defender already in college. Um, a really good defender, but he didn't necessarily have that at Duke. Um, Trey already has that. Uh, might be like a like sneaky potential all defense guy in the NBA. Uh, if he can really start to shoot the basketball, then you're talking about a lottery pick. But for now, I've got him as like a top twenty ish guy. Uh, Kobe White at UNC is more of like a combo guard. Can really shoot pull ups. Questions about the rest of it. Um, Darius Garland, you're not going to be able to see, but is an interesting prospect nonetheless. Uh, a guy that's really turning it on right now. We didn't mention him within the conversation about big guys because he's like kind of in that, in the middle of like that four or five range is Jalen Smith at Maryland. So Jalen Smith at Maryland is a guy that I had in the top 20 coming into the year. You look at his last five games, he's dropped 20 points, 14 points, 15 points, 16 points, 21 points, uh, rebounding eight, six, four eight eight like he's actually really blossoming and developing into what we hoped coming into the year very smooth fluid athlete has potential to shoot it uh at some point he's already taking these which is great uh i I think that by the end of the year we're probably going to look at him as like a top 20 guy as well Oh, that's interesting. That'll, that'll be be fun to see. We'll save my boy Nikhil Alexander-Walker for a future time. You you talked about him a little bit in a recent piece for The Athletic, but we can save that. Yeah, are there any, off the top of your head, are there any big games that would be worth watching for people over the next couple weeks who are more NBA-focused? Ooh, next couple weeks. I haven't looked that far ahead. Uh, let's, uh, let's just run through this weekend real quick. Indiana-Maryland, sure. you're going to get to see Romeo Langford against Jalen Smith, which is an interesting matchup. Jalen Smith particularly will probably be matched up with Jordan Juwan Morgan. Juwan Morgan's really good. Texas Tech against Texas uh, this weekend. You'll get to see Jarrett Culver against Jackson Hayes, two potential lottery picks. Duke against Florida State at Florida State. That's a road test for Duke that hasn't really had them yet. Uh, Florida State's a very long athletic team that will actually potentially pose problems for Duke in regard to the way that they operate offensively. Um, let's let's just kind of run through the next couple of weeks here. I have, I have one. Duke, yep, Virginia on January 19th. Yes, Duke, Virginia will be amazing. I have not gotten that far ahead. Iowa State, Texas Tech is interesting on uh, January 16th because I think that, you know, over against a team that has a ton of wings uh, and like some of them are actually pretty good defensively like Taylor Horton Tucker and Tyrese Halliburton that's kind of an interesting matchup um, you know January 19th 
that's the Duke Virginia game. Um, you know, Michigan, we even talked about Michigan. Michigan has three really interesting prospects, in my opinion. Uh, Jordan Poole is a guy that I think is like a borderline first round prospect right now. Um, Charles, ba- or Charles Matthews is like a borderline first round prospect right now. And then, uh, additionally, Iggy Brad Stikas, who is like a six foot seven wing. You probably saw him at Hoop Summit. Uh, you know, kind of a three, four guy who can really shoot the basketball, has great instincts, but uh, I'm a little bit questionable on the rest of the skills. Well, that all, that all sounds great. As always, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course, Danny. Anytime. Thanks again to Sam Vicini for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can listen to his Game Theory podcast, which is excellent. I'm consistently impressed with the amount of material that he puts out and how hard he works really grinding. And college basketball, to me, is a much, much harder nut to crack than the NBA because there's so many teams and so many players. And I mean, of course, the international element of it as well and high school kids and everything else like that. Love the work that Sam does. You can, of course, also follow him at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Still figuring out exactly where I want to go for next week. I have a couple of different ideas. We'll see if any of those turn into fruit, turn into what I do with podcasts. Something else could also come up. That is the fun of doing an NBA podcast is that things always do. So we'll see where that goes. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways that you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, I, I still appreciate it. If you want to be super awesome, if it's not Apple Podcasts, you can actually re- leave a review in both. That is much appreciated. You can also subscribe and download every episode. That is particularly good to do for Real GM Radio because it doesn't come out at a specific time, so you can't ever get in a habit. You know, this one's going to come out on a Friday morning, but other ones come out at a totally different time. So if you subscribe, it pops into your podcast player, whatever that may be. You can do that. You can also spread the word however you see fit, social media, in person, say, hey, this episode, this podcast is something I think you'd like, and hopefully we get people. And even though this show is long running at this point, I still get people all the time saying, oh, I didn't know you had your own show. Maybe they listen to Dunked On or something else. So rest assured, it is it does not have 100% brand recognition even among hardcore basketball fans. So really do appreciate that. As always, the most important thing that you can do for this show and any other that has them is check out our sponsors. So Art of Sport, go to artofsport.com, use the promo code REALGM for 50% off a trial kit, which also has free shipping, which is awesome. I'm really impressed with their products. I'm using them personally myself. I want to. I will continue using them long after the current supply is gone. BetOnline.ag great weekend of sports coming up and during the week if, if that's what you're into you can check out the action podcast one for a 50 percent sign up bonus use that promo code and true car great place to buy a new and used car but then also as we said to sell or trade in your car you can check that out there as well you can also check out my work dunked on you know five times a week we just did the second half of our awards podcast also just did the nba cast which is the live alternate announcing is the term that i usually use for nate and i we did the bucks at rockets game which was incredibly fun we will be doing that next week actually with a a new thing that we're going to try it's basically the basketball equivalent of red zone we're going to be bouncing between different games and partially we get the flexibility now with being on YouTube Live and all the other platforms, but they have a pause button. So that could enable people to have some real fun with it and try to get our calls of specific things. So we're going to experiment with that. Nate and I are are about that of trying new things and challenging ourselves. And then my written work is primarily at The Athletic at the time being. I have a couple of national pieces coming out over the next couple days. And then Warrior's work is there consistently as well. 
If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. Email is far, far, far better than Twitter for a bunch of reasons for feedback because it's always just pops in my inbox. I have a specific place where it comes in and I read it. I read everything. I respond to what I can. But my promise is that if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That included a wealth of valued responses to me on the idea of editing the show. It is less edited now than it was before. And that saves me a lot of time. I really do appreciate that. Some episodes will be a little bit more. It just depends on if there's background noise or something else. Like I I can't help myself all the time, but it it is a a real help for me to not have to do that. So I, I do appreciate it. And the honest feedback was an important part of that process. So Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. A healthy lifestyle depends on quality sleep, and Sleep Number is here to help you sleep more efficiently. Sleep efficiency is the amount of restful sleep you have at night and is a key part of your overall health. Here are some tips to help you get the most efficient sleep possible. Reduce caffeine consumption before noon and limit late-night alcohol. Get regular exercise during the day, which helps you feel tired in the evening. And keep track of your sleep health with data from your Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year. With that much extra energy, you could get more quality family time, volunteer at a meaningful charity, or exercise, meditate, and reconnect with nature. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, which starts with Sleep Number adjustability. It's time for Sleep Number's ultimate sleep number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com slash podcast one for details. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.